Итак, прежде чем мы с вами вновь начнем погружаться в наше неисследимое наследие, Relevant 
that we need to fulfill in order to, by the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High, destroy the stronghold of death within our body in the form of reigning sin, identifying the essence of our old person with his deeds, so that we can forever thrust him out from within our body into hell with noise, and afterwards erect the kingdom of heaven in the form of the stronghold of eternal life in the place of the stronghold of death within our body, and stop to study the next condition. This condition consists in the 18th Psalm of David where the Holy Spirit, practically all of the Psalms of David are an allegory where the Holy Spirit with the right that he alone has reveals by this man or through this man the requirements, the conditions based upon which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High. El Elyon in Hebrew is most high. And this condition is that in the circumstances of our hardship in life, when we are putting off this old person, this old man, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our heart, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. If we will in the morning, in the evening and daytime remember and thank God for who he is for us, what he's done for us and who we are to him, our life will begin to dramatically change. Our old person become will become weaker and weaker and weaker and so he'll become so weak that you'll bind him inside of yourself and you will as if capsulate or can in a way uh, this person lock him in there. There are things that sleep in a person and during specific situations, circumstances, uh, they activate. In this situation, it will be the opposite. You will bind all of this in yourself until the time that the moment is right, that our body will then be transformed in the blink of an eye. But for this, even today, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin, living for God, and proclaim the non-existent, this heavenly body as already existent. Uh, see ourselves this way, thank God for this, tell each other about this, because this is very important to say it. What is within your heart? And so we've noted that this is an allegory and it is one of the most voluminous symbols where we see the collaboration of a renewed mind in the form of King David and the name of God Most High and the confrontation of our renewed mind with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul together with reigning sin in the form of our old person with his deeds. As we've noted together, it's not easy for us to live in a body where there are three kingdoms, three kings. There is the old person, this reigning sin. There's the mind of a man who rules and is anointed to rule by God. But until the mind understands how he needs to rule, that he is just a prince, He's a king, he's not a priest. He needs to subject himself to the priest, to the intelligent aspect of his spirit. He practically will not be able to do anything to fulfill his purpose and to adopt his body by the redemption of Jesus Christ. 
And so it is by the means of the confession of the faith of our hearts, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done in Jesus Christ, God receives the required basis or grounds to join the battle for our earthly bodies. Not for our souls, not for our spirit, but for our earthly body, in order to shame the old person, this reigning sin that lives within our body, not in the soul or spirit, but in our body. This old person who lives there, by the power of his redemption, he will shame and him and forever cast him out into hell with noise. In character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see an example of the character of legitimate prayer because not all possess power of a legitimate servant or the ability to pray. That doesn't mean that this is uh, just those that have some sort of service, but every person of prayer that has this ability that even today you won't find people that are in the uh, position of ser serving in the church uh, are, are all, or it's hard to find uh, uh, legit uh, servants. They see themselves as King Saul. And Samuel took the horn with oil and poured it upon the head of Saul. He anointed him and he kissed him. And so for some reason, people concentrate upon this instead of David. David was the anointed of God and a warrior in prayer. A warrior in prayer is always an anointed of God, but an anointed of God is not always a warrior in prayer. And we know that any king on this earth is anointed by God. We need to understand that. What does it mean to be anointed? Power given from God. Anointing is power from God. The president in the country, and you do in America, he is given power from God. And the heavenly God has given him power, more power than any other king on this entire earth. He is practically, according to scripture, the king of kings. He rules over other kings. From, because of his word, uh, kingdoms are moved. And uh, the economy moves there and here. Things raise, rise, things fall, and everyone catches every single word that this person says, then anointed of God. But when we're talking about anointing, we don't mean to be a king upon this earth for these people. We're talking about a king being a king over your uh, over yourself and we mean that we will rule on the earth when the millennial kingdom arises when it becomes when it happens the 24 elders and the four living creatures that's in the original not beasts but living creatures the four living beings live living creatures for you have redeemed us from all tribes nations and and tongues by your blood and we will rule upon this earth for a thousand years and so these four living creatures and these 24 elders this is again a symbol symbolic the churches from all nations tribes peoples and so if you divide 24 by 7 you won't have the church you need 28 be divided by 7 four living creatures and 24 elders 28 that have the golden crowns. It is the, this is the bride of the lamb. This is the chosen by God remnant. 
And so the first part of the psalm identifies the condition or state of David's heart as a warrior in prayer. The condition of his heart was grounds for his legitimate status of his prayer. It is very important, the state of the heart, because the kind of heart you have, that's the kind of prayer you'll have, the nature of prayer you will have. If your heart is not pure, cleansed from dead works, and the teaching of Jesus Christ is not brought into it, and the Holy Spirit is not received as a Lord and Master who would be able to reveal this truth, explain this truth, a person cannot be a warrior in prayer. He will be as Hagar in the wilderness that can pray. God will hear that prayer, but he listens to it not as from a priest, but when a priest prays, God fulfills every single word that's spoken, every single period, because this priest prays according to God's will and presents not his personal interests, but God's interests. He demonstrates God's will. He is cloaked into this anointing, and every holy person is called to be a warrior in prayer. Every holy person, saint, is called to be a king and a priest to God. The second part reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer, which gave, that comes from the heart, a legitimate prayer that comes from the heart of a warrior in prayer, which gives God the basis to deliver David as well as us from the hand of all of our enemies. This is the psalm uh, pretty much was written when God delivered him from all of his enemies and the hand of Saul. The third part describes the prayer battle itself which surpasses the comprehension of the human mind because it is written in an epic genre or format. In a specific format, we've already looked at the first part and, st and stopped to look at the second part, which reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer contained in the eight, eight names of God Most High. When in Scripture the Holy Spirit uh, presents eight names, one after the next, here God uh, pretty much uh, indicates his covenant because a covenant is always in the number eight. On the eighth day, they circumcised the infant. And this was a covenant upon the body. And everywhere where you will see the number eight, it will speak of a presence of a covenant. And so getting to know and confessing the power contained in the heart of David in the eight following names of God, that in the heart of David were a covenant, uh, an agreement between him and God, they allowed David, these names, to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised to be saved from his enemies. And for God discovering the truth, revealing the power of his names in the heart of David, providing God grounds, his covenant again that he saw in his heart, allowed God, gave God the proper grounds to use his abilities that consist in his eight names to battle for the body of David. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 3. I will call upon. <coughs> if a person will not speak, then God will not be able to save him even if this covenant is in his heart. You need to confess that covenant. Lord, according to your covenant, do this work. And when you speak God's names, you need to know 
that this is your lot, and you allow God then immediately to use these names to your benefit. And so the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my strength in whom I will trust, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is the horn of my salvation, the Lord is my stronghold. In a specific format as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, we already looked at our inherited lot in the power of two names of God, strength and rock, and stopped to look at the lot contained in the power of the name of God, fortress. We note that this nature of prayer where David confesses his lot in the eight existing names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is purposed to be the calling and mantle of a king, a priest, and a prophet anointed to rule over their earthly body. Every one of us is called to have the anointing of a king, priest, and prophet in order to rule, govern over your body and present it before God. And if a person has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling as his, his earthly body in the status of a king, priest, and prophet, then this revelation purpose for worshiping God in prayer will not benefit him. Therefore, the quality in Lexus identifying the name of God fortress that has become the subject of our study is not able to be found in any existing dictionary of the world. In the given uh, prayer psalm of David, the word fortress is used as one of the names of God, in which is concealed the inherited lot of the Son of God, in whom and through whom a person is able to run to God in order to know God and be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, containing a program. This preached word, this seed, contains a program and time of fulfillment of the oath promises of God. In Hebrew, the name of God, fortress, is the dwelling place of God, God's home, the sanctuary of God, the unapproachable light which, where God abides, the place where a person gets to know God, the opportunity to be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, the success of God, the joy of God, the hope of God, and the trust of God. Practically, the lot in the name of God fortress is a place where God abides and within the boundaries of which we are able to know God and be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. And we know that the placement of this fortress is located in three unique realms, in the heights of the heavens, in the sanctuary, which is the body of Christ, and the heart of a man, one who is humble and of a contrite spirit, one that trembles before the preached word of God, hearing it from the mouth of a person who is clothed into the power of a father from God. Studying the consistency of the lot that is contained in the name of God fortress, we need to not forget one indisputable thing, and that is that God can be our fortress only upon one condition, and that is if our heart will be his fortress. We will never be able to receive God's favor if we will not have favor toward him. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said uh, to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then we see here that a person who wanted to follow Jesus, his heart was not a fortress for God. It was a fortress for foxes that had dug their holes. And this means that he trusted prophecies, all kinds of prophecies heard 
more than the written word or the preached word. He trusted uh, uh, him, trusted these prophecies more, and that's why he had these holes for foxes. Your prophets, Israel, are like the foxes to the ruin. This is a symbol of false, uh, false prophecies. And, of course, the nests for birds are personal uh, thoughts or a personal form of mentality where you build for yourself uh, and make decisions as to how things should be understood. He doesn't base it upon the revelation that he hears uh, from uh, the pre person that God has given, but makes the decisions for himself, which should be right and wrong, and begins to rebel or complain about the person preaching, asking who he is. Who are you, I would ask? You are not anointed to preach. The head, your head, the person uh, that's rebelling, his head is empty, he has no revelations from God, and these specific people, these type of individuals, uh, rebel. The scriptures calls these people uh, of a damaged mind or fools because they rely upon their own uh, mind or their own personal wisdom as a so-called wisdom. Uh, it has rejected, God has rejected them. Then he said to another, follow me. This one asks him, and Jesus tells him, you can't follow me. But to the other, he says the opposite, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of, of heaven. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 57 through 62. According to the words of Jesus, in order to become a partaker of the inherited lot contained in the name of God, fortress, we need to satisfy three conditions. First, our heart is called to become a fortress for Jesus, in which Jesus would be able to lay his head. And for this to happen, it is necessary for our heart not to have holes for foxes or nests for birds. Second, it is necessary to allow the dead to bury their own dead. These represent that category of parents that being Christian people have rejected the offer to them truth in the form of the preached word spoken by God's delegated ones and refuse to pay the pro appropriate price to be a student of Jesus. To be a student of Jesus is to be a student of the person who is empowered with the revelations of God, who is God's mouth on earth. Third, by following Jesus into the fortress of his heavenly Father, it is necessary not to look back or focus your eyes or your attention upon your nation, the house of your father, and upon the corrupt desires of your soul, so you be not like the wife of Lot, because she turned back. She, uh, in this way, she had left her daughters and her husband. And so she turned back and lost not only what she was leaving, but also her own family that was with her. And this kind of person is not fitting for the kingdom of heaven who looks at their nationality, the house of their father, 
or their corrupt desires or their own opinions, their own strongholds that he has built. The consistency of the lot contained in the name of God Most High in the virtue and purpose of fortress as a house of prayer is for us a strategic teaching, purpose for performing prayer, providing God proper grounds to enter into our life in order to fulfill his will, elevated by him for us as his given law as well as one of the most important and necessary disciplines of truth called to participate in our salvation as well as our coming to power over our calling which is adopting our body by the redemption of Jesus Christ. Therefore, our lot in the name of God fortress becomes one of the primary goals that all of the redemption of God is focused upon and that on your list of priorities is to be placed above all the secondary good works and goals. When they are secondary, then they are good and correct goals. But as soon as one of these secondary goals becomes a priority, then all of these other secondary goals immediately become destructive and sinful. We conclude that our inherited lot in the name of God fortress is a place that independent from circumstances and time we are called to run in order to receive grace for needed help, in order to get to know God, abide within God and be fertilized by the seeds of the truth in order to grow the fruits of our spirit. Therefore, it is necessary for us to study and determine in what way and upon what conditions we're able to enter into the presence of God so that He can be our fortress, where we can get to know God and be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven within our spirit so that we can grow from it the tree of life. Their nobles shall be from among them. It's talking about the nation of God. Their nobles shall be from among them. <coughs> God shall bring forth these nobles <coughs> from the nation of God. And their governor shall come from their midst. And so this specific governor will I draw near to me, God says, and he shall approach me. He pledges to approach my heart. For who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 30, 21 through 22. It's a very interesting. In, it's interesting that in the book of Esther, the king of kings, Artaxerxes, is not a name but a title, which means king of kings. Uh, a person was not able to enter uh, into his presence unless he called them. And if he does enter, and the king has not called him, and the king shall not stretch out his scepter, then it will be death to this person. If you, if you want to enter into the fortress, you need to have proper grounds, legitimate grounds. When Esther entered, she was not called. She was supposed to die. She told her uh, her uncle Mordecai, she told him, you know that anyone enters without being called will die unless the king stretches out his scepter. And she went anyway, she went to her death. After three days of fasting herself and with all of the nation, she went uh, to her death and he was sitting in anger at that moment. And you know, kings that had such anointing, uh, their faces sometimes glowed from glory. It was not possible to look upon them. People trembled before them and 
he even fainted in their presence. And so it was not allowed for any, any person, as it were, to see his face unless he called them. God, uh, when she entered, God changed his wrath to compassion and he stretched out his scepter and asked her, what, what, should, what is it, uh, Queen Esther, even to half the kingdom I shall give to you? You didn't just come here. Uh, he understood that what she was doing. It's the same thing here. God says about this thing, this very same thing, that there will be one governor, and this governor is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is born in the flesh and was from the seed of the nation of Abraham. And in him and through him are we able to approach God. Only in him and through him are we able to approach God. So, And for this to happen, we need Jesus to live in us and us to live in Jesus Christ. And so when someone says, Jesus lives in me, and they sing these songs, they don't understand often what they're saying. You want to ask the question, can you identify how Jesus lives in you? And oftentimes you'll hear that they don't really know. The verb to run to God as to our fortress contains the opportunity, giving the person the ability to be fertilized with the seeds of the promise that belongs to, to the door of his hope in the fruits of which God receives proper grounds to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to destroy the stronghold of death within our body and with noise forever thrust him out from within our body this old person whose stronghold and armor is the stronghold of death upon which he relies and trusts in Hebrew the phrase to run to God again the stronghold of death is the law of Moses the holiness of Yahweh, when the holiness of Yahweh lives within a man, it begins to live after a person receives salvation as a guarantee of his justification. And as soon as he receives it, the old person is still living there, this reigning sin is there, and this justification immediately from from grace or uh, coming from grace is transformed into condemnation not into justification but condemnation we need to do something to receive justification because immediately and why does this happen because he sees reigning sin is there and seeing this reigning in the body sin he turns against him he in anger rises up. In Hebrew, to run to God means to approach the altar, draw near to know God, enter into the sanctuary of God, get closer to God, run to God's help, find yourself in the fortress of God. And in order to find yourself in, Christ, in God, you need to find yourself in Christ. Be able to be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. It is necessary for our heart to be capable of receiving the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. Not all people are able to receive the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, but only those that leave infancy, the spiritual infancy. When in the heart of a person that is cleansed from dead works and the two great witnesses are brought in there that stand before the all the earth, the Urim and the Thummim, only then is a person able to receive this seed. In the song, uh, Songs of Solomon, this Urim is uh, pretty much symbolically shown in the breasts of the beloved one. The mind absolutely cannot 
comprehend this? How is it that I am a wall and my breasts like towers? And I will be in his eyes as one who has become perfect. And so these two pillars, these two towers, I stood upon the rampart to see what he will say to me, it says. And so she's saved, but she's not able yet to marry. Jesus will not knock into her upon her door. He will knock upon the door of one who is already has already been made, been made perfect, one that is able to bear fruits of the Spirit. This one is not yet able. Her uh, so her reproductive organs have not yet been formed in order to receive seed, so that she can grow it then into the fruits of the Spirit, in order to bear the fruit of the womb, sons and daughters to grow the fruits of the Spirit. Due to such a list of definitions, the lot of the name of God fortress contains various meanings, and independence of the circumstances and time has multiple meanings and is multi-angled. First, the name of God as fortress abiding within our heart is called to be the legitimate level of a relationship with God, where a person receives the ability to get to know God, and God receives the proper basis or proper grounds to get to know God. Amen. Second, the name of God fortress abiding within our heart is called to provide us the ability to receive the seed of promise that God has ordained from times of old, but that we, due to specific situations, due to specific reasons, have not yet been able to receive. We're talking about the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Because due to our spiritual growth in our new person, the reproductive function has not yet been formed, giving us the ability to be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, about uh, the words about the kingdom of heaven. Third, the name of God fortress abiding within our heart is called to incorporate the participation and power of God into all aspects of our life to give us the opportunity and the ability to approach God and and by doing so be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom so that as a result then in the name of God deliverer we can then bear fruits of the spirit able to clothe us into the virtue of his light in order to destroy the stronghold of death within our body and with noise thrust him into hell therefore every time when God by the means of the Holy Spirit allows a person to run to or to approach him then in result of such closeness or contact we will always have a corresponding or suitable fruit in that aspect in which we were able to approach or to run to God, that aspect that is cleansed from dead works, that has the teaching of Christ, and that has the Urim and the Thummim, that, again, the Urim that reveals the truth within the heart. Therefore, it is us and every individual aspect of our essence that are responsible to form such an atmosphere within our heart that would be able to become a fortress for God in order to provide God legitimate grounds to be our fortress. And such an atmosphere is called to be the good soil of our heart capable of receiving the seed of the preached to us word of God so that in the name of God deliverer we can then grow the fruit that is according to the nature of seed 
we have received. And independence of our choice and following that choice decisions and actions will determine whether God will become our fortress or the opposite will become our revenger and our hater. And this choice is our decision to either carry responsibility for our calling and our selection or the opposite, refuse to carry responsibility for our calling and our selection and draw the wrath of God upon ourselves. Therefore, if we don't make a decision and will not take upon ourselves the responsibility to fulfill the agreed upon by us obligations in our covenant that we made with God, God will not have any grounds or reason to help us or to be our fortress. And he knelt down and prayed, Jesus saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. In other words, the prayer begins not in accordance to God's will. If you pay attention, even Jesus was put into such a situation that prompted him to begin his prayer that was not in agreement with God's will. But speaking this phrase before the Heavenly Father, being uh, sweating uh, blood and the fear that he had uh, because of the things he knew he'd need to overcome and experience to go to hell, to suffer and die for us and then go to hell, not as a regular sinner, but as one of the uh, absolute worst uh, criminals or sinners because he'll take the sins of all of his children and so he immediately changed then what he says nevertheless he says not my will but yours be done and then the angel appeared to him from heaven strengthening him and so as soon as he said not my will but your will be done immediately he ended up within the fortress of the heavenly father and God sent his angel to strengthen him before he fulfills that will. And so when we cast off of ourselves this old person, we stand uh, as if in this situation we experience the same horror it is before us. We see there's no way out of a situation. There's no way for us to be saved. We're we see these shameful things, we're embarrassed of it, and but if we wave our hand uh, to, uh, and confess, we refuse all the things that are in the world and we confess our sins. Oftentimes we don't want to confess our sins because we're ashamed. Confessing of our sins is a victory in heaven and shame in hell. But a person is as if embarrassed. He suffers for a long time until he finally makes the decision to come and confess his sins. As soon as he does this, God sees him as very bold. He sees him as a hero in faith. The heavens immediately become joyful and hell lowers their head to the ground. And so looking at the given testimony, we can see that to create an atmosphere that would provide God the ability to help us and give us power so that we can run to Him is the collaborative and everyday work between God and man, where a person possesses the sovereign right to give God the legitimate grounds the legitimate right upon God's strict and indisputable conditions to make his heart a fortress of God. And the same, at the same time, a response to such goodness that person demonstrates and such disposition of a person to him, God receives the legitimate basis to become a fortress for this man where the man can run to him. 
and being instructed in the faith, he can then draw God's favor upon himself and be fertilized with the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. Considering such a necessary union of God with man, it becomes vital for us to identify in every aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of a man. And for this purpose, studying our lot in the previous names of God, called to be the lot of our salvation, we have come to the necessity to look at a series of questions. What characteristics and criteria identify our inherited lot in the name of God Fortress? What purpose when it comes to achieving our salvation is our inherited lot in the name of God Fortress called to fulfill? What price do we need to pay in order to provide God the ability to be our fortress? What price or what conditions? And fourth question, by what results do we determine that God is truly our fortress in our fulfilling of our calling? First, not having clear and comprehensive answers to these questions that we can receive by being instructed in the faith within the indisputable structure or order in which the body of Christ functions. We will not have any ability to invest our silver in the form of our guaranteed salvation and strictly obeying the preached word of the man that possesses the power of a father from God and his helpers, we will not have any ability to receive profit in the form of the fruits of righteousness from the guarantee that we have invested. And so again, receive it as your own, something of your own. For all of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us that is through the Apostles, 2 Corinthians 1.20. In a specific format, we've already looked at the essence of the first two questions, therefore we will turn to study question three. What price do we need to pay for our heart to become a fortress for God, which would give God the legitimate right to be our fortress? We need to not forget that the grounds that give him the ability to be our fortress is the word that comes out of his mouth, that he has magnified in our body above all of his name and he has cloaked his name into his law and has placed himself in dependence of his own word so that he and he's vigilant over it so he can fulfill it timely and so when in the body of a man he has elevated magnified his word that means he has magnified it in the church and in heaven also because the body of a person which is his temple is a part of these two others the church and heavens uh, they are all uh, interlinked I shall uh, bring forth eight elements of the price to approach God. We talked to, we're talking about the covenant. We could do 12, we could do seven, we could do six, but I will bring forth eight elements of the price to approach God, although there are many more of them. And I will uh, take a little more time on some of them and maybe a little less time on the others, depending on their essence and their importance for today. And in this situation, it will not matter in what sequence they are presented. The absence of any of these will not allow us to approach God as our fortress because all of these elements, they are uh, united as one. We have already looked at four components of the price for the right to approach God that when fulfilled allows our heart to be a fortress for God which then gives God the ability to become our fortress where God would then be able to know us or get to know us and we would be able to get to know him in his word 
The first component of the price for the right to approach God consists we already studied these, consists in bearing the fruits of righteousness to God in the name Maher Shalal Hashbas. This is the fruit that we receive in the promise of the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Second component of the price for the right to approach God consists in fulfilling the condition, making our heart a fortress for the Holy Spirit, which gives the Lord Jesus legitimate grounds to seat us upon his throne, called to become our fortress. Third component of the price for the right to approach God is refusing to consume alcoholic beverages or drinks. We recently were speaking about, and one of the sisters told me that they would drink it for health purposes. And so they would uh, pretty much create their own alcoholic drink and would drink it for health purposes. And they, when they would drink it, of course, they become drunk, and she uh, realized that she was an alcoholic. Uh, she was convinced that, uh, someone had convinced her that it is a medicine, and it's good that she came to her senses and stopped doing these things. Fourth component of the price for the right to approach God is have the presence of a covering upon your head. And so that is acknowledging over yourself the delegated authority of God, that is a specific person. Fifth component of the price for the right to approach God consists in washing your body with water. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. And so the temple, the tabernacle was symbolic. And so priests, when they enter in, they need to wash with water their bodies so they not die. Or when they approach the altar for service to offer sacrifices to the Lord, they need to first wash their bodies with water. Exodus 30, 20. I think that you understand that it's talking about the priests of the Lord, that every day, uh, for 30 years had prepared themselves by totally sanctifying themselves in accordance to the requirements, the demands, and the commandments of God so that they can completely, after sanctification, dedicate themselves to God in order to enter the sanctuary and serve God. And so imagine 30 years, every day they prepared themselves. And as I learned, uh, reading some of the writings of the rabbis, children that were born in the Israelite families, the first word that they stated was not mom or dad, or da mommy or daddy. They immediately started talking to him about God so that they can speak the name Lord. And as soon as they began to speak, they needed to memorize. And uh, by the time they were 12 years old, little girls and little boys knew the Torah, the five books and prophets by memory. And so they, they taught them very, very uh, actively or intensely. Mary, she obtained favor from God. She was a very young girl. She was about 16 years old. How is it she could obtain favor from God? Only a person who's, in whose heart the law of God is are, is able to obtain God's favor. 
and the Holy Spirit that would reveal this truth. Look at her prayer. See how beautiful and amazing her prayer is. Find a young girl that's 16 that would be able to pray like this that would be able to understand the law and the relationship with God as soon as she heard the promise that you will have a son you shall uh, conceive and bear a son she immediately stated the words let it be according to your words and it happened she because as, as a as a child she was taught all these commands Abraham passed on to Isaac so that Isaac then passed on to Jacob and, and taught them to pass it on uh, from one generation to the other the laws of God and they did this and so even though these people were chosen from the nation of Israel and in a special way were prepared and dedicated to God these priests that they every time they needed to enter into the sanctuary, the temple to serve God, they were required to wash their bodies with clean water. And for this purpose, Solomon, because of a revelation he received from God, uh, from his father David, he had uh, prepared the bronze sea before the temple. The uh, Gibeonites that had voluntarily given themselves as servants to the Israelites they uh, were committed to the temple that they chop wood for the temple uh, for the for the offerings and would bring uh, water into the temple for the washing of washing and so for the priest to enter into the temple every time they needed to take off of themselves the garments they had on and wash their bodies in this bronze sea and then close themselves put on then these priests garments that were of linen and the outer robe that were in the temple. And if the Gibeonites were committed in order to chop wood for the uh, bronze altar and bring water for the bronze sea, then in order to construct this bronze sea, a revelation from God, Solomon, uh, called a specific person that had the ability, the artistry, the understanding of how to make all kinds of things with bronze. Before we wash ourselves with water, we need to first build ourselves into this bronze sea. Now King Solomon sent and brought Haram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all his work. And he cast two pillars of bronze, each one 18 cubits high and a line 12 cubits measured the cir uh, circumference of each. Then he made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits and the height of the other capital was five cubits. He set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called it Yakin and the other Boaz. He made the sea of cast bronze ten cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling it all around ten to, ten to a cubit all the way around the sea and it stood on 12 oxen three looking toward the north three looking toward the west three looking toward the south and three looking toward the east the sea was set upon them and all their back parts pointed inward 
It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like a brim of a cup like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. First Kings 7, 13 through 26, in order to receive uh, and inherit the lot of the name of God fortress, it is necessary for our soul, spirit, soul, and body become God's fortress. One of the elements or conditions of our body become a fortress for God is washing your body in the bronze sea with clean water that was brought by these Gibeonites. Relevant to this, we needed to answer a series of questions. What in our essence is the bronze sea and the waters of which we can wash our body so that we can have the legitimate right to Christ Jesus to approach God? Who is Haram within our essence? What is this pure water that fills the bronze sea? And who are the Gibeonites within our essence that bring water for it? And so the first question again, what in our essence is the bronze sea in the waters of which we can wash our body so that we can have the legitimate right in Christ Jesus to approach God? The material from which the bronze sea was built symbolizes in scripture uh, a type of ju judgment or justice where we receive the ability to judge ourselves in accordance to the demands of the commandments of God, weigh ourselves and humble ourselves. If in the heart of a person the bronze sea will not be formed, the waters of his judgment, because there are waters of judgment there with which he washes himself, justice then it will not cleanse us from the, eh, from the uh, foreign particles that may be there. Let, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream, Amos 5.24. And so building our heart into this bronze sea turns the waters of our justice in the confessions of our trust upon the word of God as a strong flowing uh, flow of uh, righteousness. And so again, the symbol of the bronze sea in the pure, with the pure waters is a symbol of our conscience cleansed from dead works, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, with them printed upon its tablets the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so when we approach God with a conscience cleansed from dead works, with them printed upon it, uh, truth of the teaching of Christ gives us the ability to cleanse our body and our prayer words from all kinds of foreign particles. Second question, who in our trifold essence is Haram, who is called to build our heart into a bronze sea that by the means of a good conscience would be able to lead the ship of our faith into the fortress of God. We know that the father of Haram he was a Phoenician. They came from the son of Japheth, the son of Noah, and this is the intelligent aspect of the soul of a man. And so the mother of Haram is the widow from the line of Naphtali. We know the name Naphtali in Hebrew is wrestler. And Rachel made Bila conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, Genesis 37, 8. Practically, in the lot of the name Naphtali, is the ability to overcome the with prayer the old person that lives within our body that we have inherited from the sinful life of our parents. Moses blessing Naphtali and his name contains our inherited lot and his name also is the name of God because in the 12 names of the patriarchs and the 12 names of the apostles 
are the name of God also, names of God. These are our inherited lot, this is our, our destiny. And so Moses blessing Naphtali, in whose name is the inherited lot for every individual holy person, he pointed to the result or indicated the result uh, of a person who died by the law for the law so that he could die for the one who died and resurrected. And about Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. Deuteronomy 33:23. And according to this place of scripture, uh, being satisfied with favor and full of blessing of the Lord is reflected in taking control or possessing west and south. When it's talking about... Uh, the West, this is the fruit of the womb, and South is the mind of Christ. And so the fruit of the womb of the, of the widow from the line of Naphtali is in our spirit the mind of Christ upon the condition that we die for the law, by the law, for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected. And so the widow, again, from the line of Naphtali, we see the bride of the Lamb, and also, as we know that this widow, she is the mother of Haram from the line of Naphtali. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Romans 7, 1 through 4. Although Haram father, Haram's father was a man of Tyre, symbolizing the seed of the woman, who is called with righteousness and justice to strike the head of the serpent of old in building the bronze altar and other important bronze elements of the temple. Therefore, the symbol of Haram is a symbol is a symbiosis where there is a collaborative work between the mind of Christ as the widow from the tribe of Naphtali and the intelligent aspect of our soul as the father of Haram. In Hebrew, the name Haram means greatly exalted because of a good genesis or good line. The city of Tyre in which Haram was born was built upon the heights of cliffs or uh, high rocks. And this uh, very meaning is within his name, or within the name of Tyre, a, a rock or tall mountain that is higher than other mountains, leading the surrounding mountains, Tyre. In scripture, these kinds of tall uh, uh, mountains or rocky mountains, these high mountains, these are promises which are our purpose, our destiny. And our calling and the lot of our unsearchable inheritance in Jesus Christ. That we are called to inherit in the fruit of our spirit in the resurrection of Christ. And so, specifically by the fruit of our spirit, as Haram, who is called to present in our trifold essence the symbiosis of the mind of Christ, collaborating with the intelligent aspect of our soul. We are called to build this bronze sea 
in order to possess the ability to judge or to weigh ourselves upon the uh, scales of righteousness. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritually judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. And so, to better understand within our trifold essence the building and purpose of the bronze sea, we will look at its characteristics written in scripture. And so, being of bronze is a work of art, an amazing ensemble. It's a uh, pretty much a large, what looked like a very large cup that looked like an open lily that li- laid upon 12 oxen and all was one one, uh, one piece, made of one piece. Imagine this entire work of art was made of one piece of bronze. He made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. He w- it was completely ground. Its height was 5 cubits and a line of 30 cubits measuring its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling it all around, 10 to a cubit and the way around the sea. The ornament- ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them and all their back parts pointed inward. It was hand-breadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. 1 Kings 7, 23-26. And so the width of the bronze sea being 10 cubits is righteousness that finds itself in the heart of a person in purity and holiness due to which a person receives the legitimate grounds to run to God and see God's beautiful face. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. Or blessed is the pure in heart for they shall see God. The height of the bronze sea being five cubits is the heart of a person that contains God's order where a person can be under the covering of the Almighty and shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Psalm 91.1.2 We know that the shadow of the Almighty is a covering, acknowledging over yourself authority, a delegated authority, for the beauty of holiness that was upon the priests. The form, the bronze sea being in the form of a circle within the temple of our body, is the power of the word of God that a person with which a person is to rule in his, in his body, just as God, se- seated above the circle of the earth, rules. He, it is He who sits above the circle of the earth. Isaiah 40:22. The circumference of the bronze sea being 30 cubits within the temple of the human body is a total sanctification for priesthood that a person uh, was able to achieve by total 
sanctification for 30 years. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased now Jesus himself began to minister at about 30 years of age being as was supposed the son of Joseph the son of Heli Luke 3 21 through 23 then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families by their father's house from 30 years old and above even to 50 years old all who enter the service to the to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting numbers 4 1 through 3 in the likeness of ornamental buds all around these ornamental buds were 300 ornamental buds this is a, a wit a pretty much two witnesses, the Urim and the, and the Thummim, the Urim, uh, which is the Holy Spirit, explaining the truth. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch, the name of this fruit, Methuselah, that drives away death, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. And so the names of the other sons and daughters are not noted here, only the first son, Methuselah. And after him, Enoch walked before God 300 years. He brought, bear, he would bring fruit to God, these ornamental buds, and so 10 per cubit, and so 10 per cubit holiness, and 300 is talking about the fruits of, of righteousness. He walked before God. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5:22-24, symbol of 12 bronze oxen that were in four different directions upon which the bronze sea was. That was a foundation for the bronze sea is within the heart of uh, the body of a person, the foundation of the word of God. This is righteousness and justice. And this is by the bron uh, by the rod of a person, the confessions of his mouth. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. And so these were the foundation of the throne. Upon them was this justice. And they were in the four different directions. And we, ta we talked about these four teachings, the three teachings, the south, west, east, and north, the elementary teaching of Christ. This is where they were looking, their faces in that direction. And so when a person performs righteousness, it's according to, to the truth, the teaching. Righteousness and justice are the guards that stand guard of the interests of the holiness of the Almighty. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. And so the earth uh, that we live upon is uh, covered with blood and sin. It's talking about an earth where there is a foundation of God where righteousness and justice are. That the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. And we know that the multitude of isles is a symbol of people that have sanctified themselves, separated themselves. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalm 97, 1, 2. And so the Lord, in the form of the Holy Spirit that abides within our heart, within our body, as the Lord and Master of our life rules within our body according to his word that comes from the rod of our mouth. And so the hand breadth thick in, 
handbread uh, thick in thickness was the Bronze Sea. This is a person that cleanses his body, his mortal body before the Lord so that it can be ready to be transformed into a heavenly body. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the soil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, so that the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Leviticus 14, 15 through 18. And so all of these measurements are, are, are symbolic. They're not just written there. The brim of the bronze sea was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. This uh, members us to the bride of the lamb that in nature is inherent to God. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Songs of Solomon 212. And now let's look at the consistency of the bronze sea within the temple of our body for the sake of which it was actually made. This pure water, or as it were, third question, what is this pure water within our essence? And so the first symbol of this pure water that is, consists in this bronze sea are the great witnesses, the two great witnesses that stand before the God of all the earth, the truth of the word of God and the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of the word in the heart, if it is, of course, there. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the Holy by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful Hebrews 10 19 through 23 and so Apostle Paul talks about these symbols. Washing your body in the bronze sea gives you the legitimate right to approach God and to hold fast the confession of the hope <clears throat> without wavering so that he who promised God would be able to fulfill it. To hold fast the confessions of our hope is to meditate and confess before God other men and yourself, who God is for us in Jesus Christ, what God, ha Jesus, God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. Only thanking or due to th uh, stating these things, due to these things, God is able, or doing these things, God is able and promises to fulfill and lead us into the glory of the destiny that he has given to us, adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The word of God, of God that abides within us is water, pure water that the Gibeonites brought. But in order to be there, we need to be built into a bronze sea.
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she could be holy and without blemish, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. If our bodies will not be washed in, these, in this bronze sea by water, we will not have any ability to inherit the lot in the name of fortress, so we can then erect within our body the stronghold of life. In other words, if our body will not be washed in this bronze sea with this pure water, the confessions of our hope that are contained in consist in adopting our body by the redemption of Christ, our prayer will not have the legitimate right to be heard by God. And so the symbol of the water for washing of our body is the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that reveals this truth, this elementary truth in our heart. He's also called water in scripture. Here we're talking about the mortal body, the sinful body that being washed in the bronze sea with water becomes God's fortress and is no longer looked at as a carnal or sin body because after it's washed with pure water, it needs to be looked at as heavenly, a body that's heavenly. Fourth question, who were the Gibeonites within the temple of our body that chopped wood for the, for the altar and brought water, pure water, to fill the bronze sea? Practically filling the bronze sea as, as our conscience with pure water, our Gibeonites are the symbiosis of our intelligent aspect of our soul that has subjected itself, given itself to God or presented itself as uh, slaves of righteousness. And so according to the covenant, the Gibeonites became voluntary servants of the temple of God and their role was to chop wood for the altar and to bring water, carry water for the filling of the bronze sea the capital of the Gibeonites was Gibeon. The meaning of the name Gibeon is the heights of a hill. A hill is a, the symbol of a covenant God made with man and man with God. And they made a covenant together with, uh, through Israel. And when the surrounding kings found out that the Gibeonites made a covenant with the nation of Israel, they uh, uh, wanted to fight the Gibeonites and because they had a covenant the Gibeonites with Israel Israel confronted the Gibeonites and fought these five kings that surrounded Gibeon in scripture this was one of the most significant battles in the nation of, uh, in the land of Canaan where God physically participated and not before or after that day heard the voice of a person as the voice of Joshua that he stopped the sun above him. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal and he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. He went to defend the Gibeonites that they have made a covenant with. And Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. 
chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Maqed. And it happened that they fled before Israel and were, and were on the de, uh, descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones and the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel when he had uh, were destroyed and before the sight of Israel and Israel and before the children of Israel, he said, In the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So he uh, told the planets and space and the moon to stop and the sun. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Almost for 12 hours, the sun uh, was not circling around the earth and all the planets paused and nothing terrible happened. It is this not written in the book of Jashir. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there, was been, there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua 10, 7 through 14. And so these five kings that surrounded Gibeon are uh, the emotional aspects of our soul. I always want something I don't have kind of thing. As it is written, do not listen, believe your stomach because it always wants something that isn't isn't there. You want something, you go buy it, bring it, and now you want something different that you don't have. And so until by the power of the mind, that is independence of the mind of Christ, the emotional aspect of the soul will not be sub subject or obedient to our mind. We cannot submit the members of our body as servants or slaves of righteousness. The members of our body not being slaves of righteousness will not be able to then have our heart, or our heart will not be able to become then a fortress for God. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you present your members as slaves of, slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness but fruit did what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life Romans 6 19 through 22 amen let us bend our knees and pray and may the Lord bless us let us thank him for the word that we were able to receive for today that prepares our bodies to be adopted by the redemption of Christ amen heavenly father in the name of Jesus Christ, again and again, I, together with your saints, thank you because you are our God, because you have redeemed our body from hellfire, because you have given to us in Jesus Christ 
justification according to your good grace. Thank you that you have given to us a mind and ability to invest the guarantee of our salvation in the death of Jesus Christ so we can receive our justification as something of our own, our own possession. Thank you that having received justification as our own possession, we receive our bodies. And even today, we thank you that we are carriers of this heavenly body, proclaiming the not existent as existent. Even today, we meditate within our mind and within our heart and proclaim before your face that we are dead to sin and living for you. Because of such confession that is the treasury of our heart, you then fight for our earthly bodies in order to transform them into a heavenly body. May your mercy be blessed amongst your people and may all illnesses and weaknesses be cursed among your nation. May all uh, cowardness or any ignorance depart from your people and may they have the fruit of righteousness fruit of holiness without which they will not be able to see you without which they will not be able to walk before your face and receive confirmation that they will be raptured before the morning star we thank you for the glory that you have given to us that is Jesus Christ our hope in salvation is the great glory that is in us may your mercy be blessed forever and ever in your nation may your wisdom be upon them may their home <coughs> and their boundaries be stretched forth and expand May they know you in all your beauty, in all your power, and all your might. May they lift up their heads because the time of their deliverance has come. Because the signs of the times show that everything's red. The world is foretelling horror. We foretell joy because soon we will be delivered from this old person with his deeds and will become carriers of heavenly bodies and will fulfill your will. And we thank you that we already have become so by faith, proclaiming the not existent as existent. May your mercy be glorified among your people, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we proclaim our unchanging manifestation, I would like to pray for our brother Ivan as a faithful brother of ours, a faithful brother that works for the Lord and it, he represents the elementary teaching of Christ in the format in which it 
is here. They watch uh, the videos of the services. They completely watch them, and then they are able to study it. Right now, we will pray for him. I will ask everyone to stretch out their hand as a symbol, and we will bless him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this faithful man. May he be blessed before your face, and may your anointing be stronger upon him. May your glory be on him, and it be in his mouth, in his behavior, in his actions, and may those see it that will be with him or around him. We thank you for him. We bless him with your holy name. May upon you be the blessing of the Lord and the wisdom of our God. May it be upon you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, we still have uh, one other thing. I would like to say uh, talk about something I have suffered uh, uh, through within the span of a few years. I would like to say I want to uh, speak of Alexander and his wife, who used to serve, our, uh, serve God and be within the service, they don't lead the teaching that we lead. One of the guests had asked him, why is it that you don't place uh, ser the sermons of Pastor Arkady? And he said, you know why? Because I want that the lambs know the voice of their pastor. Every time he came here, I would tell him, Alexander, Sasha, why won't you uh, not put the sermons up? And he, was, he would cry and state that I have a great authority for him and that he preaches, he takes all of the, he states all, everything that I preach. And I tell him, uh, Alexander, let people see it first and then talk about it. Because I was familiar with how he interpreted the word. At the beginning of every sermon he would read, he would read that God, uh, Saul, Samuel took the horn of oil and would anoint Saul and would name his, his sermon a portrait of the anointed of God, uh, talking about himself. And, and then he would take uh, pieces and parts of what he thought, uh, found beneficial and would preach even here. I and you, he would always stay, state. And when I told him, do not, when you preach, uh, he always saw himself that all obli ob are obligated to him. I think you were surprised when he uh, was thanking uh, us that we have learned their tastes and their habits. Uh, and so he uh, would state these kinds of things and his, he would say all kinds of uh, things as if uh, I needed to subsidize him as a anointed from God, but I did not send him there. He was moving from Canada. Uh, we never saw him, or I never met with him. We only talked on the phone, and I just prayed him and blessed him, and he was worried, and I said, don't, wor don't, don't worry, but I never had in my mind that 
that he does these kinds of things, he did not become a student. However much I asked him, may your wife sit as mine sits with me, next to me. Why does your wife in your presence teaches and uh, accuses people? People complain to me. We had a brother. Uh, she would ask his wife, do not shout at me in front of other people, and she would do this. She had his hysteria at times when I would tell her something or correct her she ha was hysterical she would shout and scream and uh, behave this way I would be quiet at that time the last uh, hysteria uh, she uh, the, the last time they came here uh, a woman he, he came with here she was uh, she was in sin everyone knew about that and she wanted to confess to me. And I asked her, why didn't you not go to the one that was there? And she cried, she confessed to me. After her confession, I understood that she will not be able to uh, withstand them. She won't be able to just leave them. Uh, and so telling the parents they were the parents of this young this young girl she can I told them you can she confessed but you need to help her and the mother uh, the wife she this is said this is a lie this is impossible this can't happen and I told Alexander uh, she he began shaking and saying she told you the untruth and I said I said to them consider it that you've lost her then and they did lose her she had stated the reason for why she stopped going to church the reason was and she said that I spread her uh, the, the, secret, the secrets that she had confessed to me and I never did and so I would have uh, called her out if she was a member of our church uh, to be uh, to confess these things in public because everyone knew and knows about these the things that were going on and uh, she wasn't a member of our church so I did not uh, do that and she thinks I spread the things that sh that uh, that she confessed uh, and I never did and so it was convenient for her to lie and the parents it was convenient for them to accept the deception and uh, they began to state that I was at fault for her behavior I told them many times remove her from service remove her from service from the worship group and he would not this kind of rebellion uh, he and she and, and so it was uh, his wife also that was in these kinds of things uh, sinful things also and she wasn't supposed to serve and so the second thing that was very very uh, wrong 
Um, she, they ev every uh, week they would go uh, uh, go out to na into in, into a place of nature and uh, and would do barbecues as it were or shish kebabs and they uh, they they began to uh, pretty much claim that this was part of the services. And people, some people would not go out and do this with them, and uh, they began to claim that these people that were not going out to and joining them in that, that they were in sin. And these members had called me and asked me if, if I, they were supposed to do this kind of thing, and I told them, no, you're not. And I told them to stop this as well, and they did not stop. They don't listen to anything. But as soon as I began to correct them, they immediately say, you're an apostle to us. Seeing that I, in the sermons, had already stated some of these things, uh, he would cite the sermons, but with his own interpretation, he would bring them to nothing. Why was I silent? When they were coming here, I had told myself, my heart was already uh, upset, and I said, Lord, I'm not going to correct this person any longer. He has offended me many times with the fact that he says, you are my teacher, you are my apostle, but he does not follow or listen to anything. I tell them, remove the sinner from the service as a person that is in sin, and he uh, finds a young woman uh, and lives with her, and I said, this is not possible. And he said, okay, I'll stop, but he did not stop. He, uh, he, is, uh, he has a lot of impact on the people that are there, and they uh, don't dare to say anything against him. And so a lot of things, again, uh, like the uh, returning to the old path of good, the teachings of Christ, they would, she would, he would uh, interpret for himself as how things were, and they would study in that way instead of the original way. And I see neither of them have the teaching, they're people of the flesh, they were never students because in order to be a waterer, you need to be able to be a student. He said, I'm a waterer and that's my calling. He says, see, I have been born with this. You're not born into this, God makes you one. God said, I to told Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. But that did not say, that does not mean that he was yet a father of many nations. And so, until that time, he then began to tell Abraham to call Sarai as Sarah and Abraham as Abraham, and they needed to believe in the non-existent as existent, and then he became a father of many nations. In Isaac, your seed shall be called, and so you will only see the one. You won't see all the children that will come from you, but you'll see the one, and from him all will come. And so we need to understand that God does this because of dedication. The more obedient you are, the better it will be, the more. Of course, I am saddened every time he'd come here. We had nothing to talk about. He comes here, and I don't know what to do. We sit and sit. I turn on the television. And I tell him, please watch, because it's useless. He does not ask any questions. 
If I began to say something, he immediately gets in, uh, pretty much falls back into himself and doesn't speak. The last time they came and a pair came with them. In advance, this pair came. We're not going to uh, be near the pastor so we not be infected. And so because they were told that everyone coming to America becomes infected. And so I ask, why are you coming here then if we are all infected here? I saw the way they treated these people. They treated them so low. Uh, uh, the way that it was incredibly disrespectful. And so when they're there, you can see that they're afraid uh, to be infected and and. Actually, when they come here, they see liberty, freedom. Nothing is free. There's no freedom there. Everything's done through him. Everything, absolutely everything. And no one can do anything. And so people had never actually seen a video of the service on Friday. The Friday services, he's, they've never seen it. He had taken from the sermons, he would choose what he wanted and would present it uh, specifically in the way he wanted to. And that's the things he was doing. And so it's very unfortunate. Uh, finding out about this, he wrote a letter. I read his letter today. I intentionally did not pick up the telephone and suddenly he would uh, he called my phone and I prayed, Lord, what do I do in this situation? Do I just, uh, do I give him another chance? We've talked to him multiple times and every time he comes here, nothing changes, everything remains the same. And then I understood that if I will talk to him on the phone, he will say things that I never said. And so I began to pray and saying, Lord, how do I do this? And the Lord uh, wanted me to say this to all of us, uh, uh, say this in front of all of us, and this is, uh, he will hear this too, if he does not confess before his church that he has deprived them of the truth. He says, give them the fresh, but uh, you will then and stop doing these uh, uh, hangouts out in the wilderness. If his wife will not sit down with her and will sit silently and will not ask forgiveness of the church, he will not be able to re regain his position that he had. And those who would... Uh, and so if before this time... Uh, they called me and would ask me, can I, we get together separately to watch? I said no, so that there not be separation. But now I'm telling you, yes, you can. Separate and watch for yourself the services. This is the first announcement. I prayed, Lord, give me peace in my heart. And he gave me peace. Not looking at the fact that I'm telling you these things. I have complete peace inside of my heart and I don't have any anger. I'm just uh, saddened. But this has been for many years and I have suffered through it in prayer. And the next announcement is our building of the church. Our sisters had began to prepare meals and help in every way possible and there's a lot of food first they bring 
They uh, bring food uh, at 9 o'clock. Uh, people won't be eating at that time. Specifically, maybe at 4 or 5 would be better because at that time, nobody might be there. Uh, and so you'll bring food. There will be not many people or workers to be able to eat. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of people and sometimes there's very few people. And so you prepare a lot of food and nobody's uh, eating it. So uh, please call first and ask how much people and if it should be brought. And, and my son, uh, Ruben, will tell you. Um, it's just uh, we, we, we have compassion to your uh, labors. And so it's better to double check those things. Let us proclaim our manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen